Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior, and welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. I try to keep these under a half hour or so such that you can enjoy it on your way to work or home or short jog wherever you can squeeze it in. I haven't spent much time on electric vehicles here on Suncast, but we got some great feedback from you all earlier this year when we played the Podcast Lounge episode with SEPA's resident expert, Erica Myers. So I asked Erica if she'd come back and give us some insight for a report that she's published between SPI and now all about EV rate structures that work. It's a great primer on some of the underlying issues that prevent wider EV adoption and provides clear insight into how SEPA and Erica are leading the way for helping the broader grid integration problems get resolved for utilities and customers alike. You can find more Tactical Tuesdays just like this one over at mysuncast.com or right there in whichever podcast app you are using. While you're there, you may as well go ahead and give us a rate and review so that others can find us and enjoy this content the same as you are. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful Tactical Tuesday here on Suncast. All right, welcome to Tactical Tuesday. We usually take this opportunity to dive in the rabbit hole of some subject matter that you know a little about and that we want to know a whole lot more about. As the conversation around clean energy and the clean economy gains momentum. Increasingly, electric vehicles and e-mobility is coupled into how we think about the clean economy. One of the things that I find myself and, and others in my spheres of influence, and certainly you as a listener of Suncast, thinking about what do we not know that we not know, or what do we need to know about e-mobility in order to uh, better understand the broader economic impacts and implications. And no one that I know has a better grasp on how the transportation electrification process is going than my friend Erica Myers over at SEPA. Erica, welcome to Suncast. Thanks for having me. Indeed, it's always a joy to hang out with a fellow Carolinian. You have a, almost uh, 20 years of experience in working in the clean energy sector. You've specialized around that nexus between the grid, EVs, and renewable energy. And uh, even prior to your work at SEPA, you worked with ICF International, where you helped electric utilities and governments think about EV readiness. So there's a ton of, uh, of, of information out there, but I feel like you guys at Smart Electric Power Alliance are really doing a great job around the research and helping both the utilities and consumers think more clearly about what's possible. So I wanted to uh, have a quick conversation with you today on behalf of our audience to think about uh, how electric vehicle adoption is going and, and what we could do to improve it. 
The underlying research or documentation that we'll refer to here, by the way, and we'll link to in the show notes is a report that you all wrote around residential EV rates or electric vehicle rates. And I think if I'm not mistaken, the title is residential electric vehicle time varying rates that work attributes that increase enrollment. (laughs) So with that as the foundational knowledge, and I I certainly hope that You'll go take a listen to that if you haven't looked into the research that SEPA does on these topics. It occurs to me that there's like a lot of folks may not understand the different classes of vehicle. You know, we think often of like sedans and crossovers and light duty trucks. And I'm going to start pulling stuff out of the air uh, due to my own (laughs) ignorance around this topic. But could you help maybe disintermediate and add to our knowledge around the different vehicle classes? Sure, absolutely. So there's three different types. There's a light duty, medium duty, and heavy duty. Light duty are typically the passenger vehicles that most of us drive. Medium duty would be a little bit bigger. These are like delivery trucks, uh, package delivery, things that are kind of in the intermediate size. And then heavy duty, which is transit buses, semi-tractor trailers, cement trucks, all these really heavy vehicles. And they're all segmented by their gross vehicle weight. And all three of those different duty cycles are in the process of being electrified. We're all very familiar with, you know, Tesla and the Nissan Leaf, and those fall in the light duty category. Medium duty and heavy duty tend, in my view, to be more fleet level vehicles like your municipalities or your school districts or the municipal bus service or even your big tractor trailer companies and the, you know, the fleets that Amazon and many other big companies have driving around delivering stuff. Is that accurate? That would be correct. Yeah, most of those are related to fleets. Um, Now, with the different uh, uses of those vehicles, obviously, how a fleet would use a vehicle and when they would go about charging it is going to be very different. And so when we talk about the medium heavy duty space, um, typically, it's difficult to come up with load profiles for those um, without diving a little bit deeper into the specific industries that use them. That makes sense. That makes sense. So there's going to be an element of this that we'll probably leave to the side for now. Maybe we'll come back later and talk about it. And that's sort of differentiating between how medium and heavy duty use uh, is different from residential. Given that the underlying research that I wanted to probe is around residential, let's uh, let's just stick to residential for now. I'll probably ask a few questions that are lingering in my mind towards the end around maybe DC fast charging and commercial fleets. So if we focus just on residential, one of the things that's similar with regard to electric mobility that most of our solar installers here will understand is the idea of time varying rates. You know, where each state has a ton of different rate schedules for residential uh, and different offerings, in fact, for solar customers, is the same true for electric vehicle usage in the residential world? Actually, electric vehicle rates are still fairly new. Uh, In our study that you mentioned earlier, residential EV rates that work, we actually included an appendix of all the EV rates that we were able to identify as part of this work. So I would say that, you know, with only about 60 or so residential rates that have been published so far, we're still learning what aspects of these rates work and what don't work, which is why we published the study. So there's an underlying concept of a time varying rate, which means that you effectively get billed at a different rate depending on when you ask for electricity from the utility, right? The underlying concept for both, I think, solar and EV charging is that there's an optimal time to 
participate in that metering for solar and there's an optimal time to charge a car. What's that optimal time range for, for electric vehicles? Yeah, so the great thing about electric vehicles is that they have a lot of flexibility in terms of when they can charge. So most cars are parked 95% of the time. And so with that kind of range of you being in one space, uh, either at home or at work, you have a lot of flexibility in when you can charge your vehicle. And so most people just out of convenience, when they get home from work, they'll put put their plug in their car and then they don't think about it again. The problem with that is usually when they come home from work is during what we consider to be on peak charges. Um, these are the times when we demand the most from the grid and this is when we have the most costs associated with supplying that energy from a utility perspective. So we wanna get people to charge after that peak period, which is usually in the later evening hours, starting around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. It's very easy to do this. You can schedule your car to charge using the car timer, or a lot of times if you have a smart charger, you can also schedule it then. So we're encouraging people to think about charging during these off-peak hours by giving them an incentive in the form of a discounted rate. I think folks are probably going to have a pretty solid understanding as we get deeper into this around that idea of time varying rate. It also occurs to me that the way that the whole idea of bill structure might be something that we want to make, we want to clarify that being there's a fixed fee and a volumetric fee. How does that factor into the discussion or decisions for homeowners? Absolutely. So uh, the fixed fee portion is really related to the costs around the distribution system. So as it relates to, you know, all the costs that the utility puts in for transformers, wires, poles, all those things that goes typically into the fixed fee. The volumetric fee is the one that typically with the time bearing rate is where you get the discount. And this is related to the time that you're charging, which is correlated to what kind of fuel supply the utility is using to to uh, provide the power to you. And so the fixed fee portion usually is typically not as impacted in a an AV rate, with one exception, which is related to enrollment costs associated with our program. So if there's a secondary meter or sub meter that's installed, sometimes the utility will tack on an extra monthly fee to help recuperate those investments to enroll. Gotcha. Well, you're mentioning something else that occurs to me that is just sort of the foundational knowledge that I assume folks have, and that's around meters. Are meters different for electric vehicle enrolled customers than they are for just standard customers to the utility? So it depends on how the utility structures the program. So uh, actually in our survey, we found the vast majority of utilities are using the existing house meter for their program, which means that the time varying rate schedule applies to all of their load, not just for the electric vehicle. There are some programs that have the option of secondary meters and submeters as well, both of which would require the utility to come out and install additional equipment. I mean, I'm familiar that in some jurisdictions for solar as well, it requires multiple meters or secondary or sub meters. So I presume then that it's important for us in this discussion for folks to understand how that works. Is the data collection by the utility something that's also sort of fundamentally important to understand? Yeah, absolutely. So the time bearing rates that we see across the country are largely enabled through AMI, Advanced Metering Infrastructure. This is like the RF structure, right? Yeah, RF mesh is one one format that utilities have used. There's others, but time bearing rates are really largely dependent on advanced meters to make sure that you can have the billing 
differentials that go into the systems that utilities use to create the bill that you get for your home. I see. So it does, in fact, matter how the utility collects the data and then therefore the type of metering and the the structure that the utility engages in to collect that data is going to potentially impact customer adoption, I would presume. So why don't we dig in, since we have that foundation there, why don't we dig into the key findings from the report that you all did along with, with Brattle Group back in the fall of 2019? So some of the things that we found uh, as part of our study that were really important are related to how a utility designs and markets their EV rates to customers. So some of the uh, attributes that we found that were most popular for enrollment purposes was having a marketing budget. It seems intuitive, but people don't know about the rate unless you tell them that there's a rate that they can take advantage of. So we saw 3x increase in enrollment with uh, a marketing budget. Second, we found that a utility-driven initiative for an EV rate also yielded 2.4x increase in enrollment. And we think that this is largely because if a utility is driving the uh, development of an EV rate, that they're much more bought into the the concept of it versus if they were required to do it by a regulator or legislative mandate. Right. So where there's a regulatory body telling the utility, you have to take this into consideration and put it into your rate schedule, they were less likely to have high enrollment than if it were internally sourced. That's correct. We also uh, found that bill savings for the average EV customer led to a 2x increase in enrollment. Surprisingly, not all rates are designed to help customers get savings. In fact, um, based on the utility survey that we sent out, actually some rates did not have any bill savings associated with them or very nominal, and some actually cost more for the customer on average. So how you would go about structuring a rate is really critical. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts, so why lose that sale to high demand charges? Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With DemandX, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis by going to extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. And while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy to install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. Did you miss out on the live sessions of the Suncast Clean Energy Summit? We had so much fun with some of the most inspiring and impactful leaders in the clean economy throughout the Americas, learning about where the industry's going and giving you practical advice on how you too can participate and grow with us. Well, you're in luck because my team recorded the whole thing and you can check it out over at suncastsummit.com. It's posted there for a limited time for free. You can also see all of the replays inside of our private Facebook group, the Clean Energy Guild, where all the videos are posted and lots of solar warriors just like you are connecting. Both are linked over at suncastsummit.com. See you on the inside. As a consumer, as a consumer has an electric vehicle, 
I would not at all be motivated to enroll in a different rate structure. I mean, even just the time on the phone or internet or whatever I have to do would not be motivated at all if I'm not going to actually see savings. One of the things that I wonder how this is measured is if a customer only understands their savings by being enrolled in the program itself. It seems like a chicken and egg situation. How are utilities tackling the explanation of potential savings in order to spur enrollment or encourage consumers to consider it? Absolutely. So the unknown is a very big barrier to enrollment for customers. And the reasons we're starting to see a lot more utilities adopting things like rate calculators that they post on their website that help people either they upload their bills manually or automatically um, by connecting their account. And then based on scenarios that the customer plugs into the calculator, they can determine whether or not they're going to actually save money and approximately how much they could save from switching to a new rate. So we think rate calculators and other sorts of transparency related tools are essential for any time bearing rate, not just for electric vehicle rates, but they certainly do help minimize uh, concerns from customers. You mentioned that 70%, which is a huge number of enrolled participants, heard about time varying rates through least cost marketing efforts. What does that mean? Yeah. So least cost includes things like website information. So a good chunk of the customers that we had surveyed in conjunction with NLX uh, through a different survey um, essentially showed that most people heard about the rate through the website or through referrals. And this, you know, the community that that buys electric vehicles, they're fairly tight knit. People who buy EVs tend to know someone who owns an EV. And so word of mouth is really an important way to spread information to this community at this point in time. Um, But certainly just posting things on a website makes a big difference. But again, you have to have a marketing budget in order to do that. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that they already have an IT team. And so posting on a website, which is now how how 70% of consumers are finding it as, a, as, an, as an example, is a really low cost thing. So when you said a utility having a marketing budget, I don't correlate that with the idea of like putting up a website that talks about an EV rate. That to me seems like a very low cost sort of marketing spend. So are we talking about any marketing budget at all at the utility side? Or are we talking about any a, sort, a certain category or like threshold of marketing budget that results in this 3x increase in enrollment? It was any marketing budget was the correlation that we found. Now, the amount of marketing budget varied widely. Uh, in some utility responses, it was in the low thousands of dollars. In some other responses, it was in the millions of dollars. So the amount of marketing budget varies widely and a lot of times is correlated to the size of the customer base that they're working with or how much they were allowed to spend by regulators. But Erica, what's in it for the utility? Like why would they even what's what's in it for them to allocate a marketing budget at all? Well it goes back to the entire premise of why we want people to be on electric vehicle rates. We want to move people off of on peak charging and move them to off peak charging like later in the evening. And this is really critical so that we don't see major negative grid impacts from this new load. We see electric vehicles as being a very positive thing overall if we can get people to charge off peak. Uh, And rates are the very first entree by which you can help people understand load management and what we call managed charging. 
managed charging. Managed charging is actively considering how and when you charge, what it costs you, et cetera, rather than just being sort of blind to it all. You come home, you plug it in the car and you walk back upstairs. Exactly. Yes. It's getting people to think a little bit more proactively about how they use energy and electric vehicles are kind of one of these technologies, along with solar and along with battery storage, that really get people interested in thinking more about how they consume energy and when they consume energy. It's one of these what we call gateway drugs to other kinds of efficiency and renewable energy programs. And so if you can get somebody to enroll in something like an electric vehicle, right, well, maybe you can get them to enroll in a critical price program for demand response or a smart thermostat or a smart water heater. Um, so these are ways that utilities are thinking about packaging types of these DR and efficiency programs together in a way that really is more interesting and exciting for consumers. One thing that caught my eye as well is that you have some member only content. Since I'm not a member, I don't have access to that, but what's the value or benefit of becoming a member for someone or if you're already a member of SEPA that you'd see behind that paywall? Yeah, so with all of our publicly available reports, typically we have some member-only content specifically designed for, for folks that are SEPA members. And in this particular case, we have more detail about all that list of, of rates that you saw in the appendix. Um, there's more detail with links and things like that. And also we have uh, figure libraries where people can extract like the high-res versions of the graphics in the report and they can use them for PowerPoints things like that, other data sets that we did not include in the report as well. So I think that, um, you know, we're, we're always open to have people come join our community, be part of our, our work that we're doing. We have a very active electric vehicle working group, we, with which we also have an EV subcommittee specifically focused on rate design uh, for electric vehicles. And so people who want to be more involved in these conversations, the cutting edge research that we and others are doing, uh, it's a forum for, for folks to exchange the bleeding edge information, which typically is not published yet. So I'd encourage folks to check out our website at sepapower.org for more information. Fantastic. Well, before I let you go, I, I did want to circle back to this conversation around DC fast charging. It seems like it's been the pariah of why electric vehicles were going to be able to be proliferated and take away that range anxiety. It seems to me that right now there's two, maybe maybe two decent examples. Obviously, Tesla with their light duty vehicles have a pretty impressive network that they've invested in heavily across the world, not just the US. And Thanks to you know really terrible executive decisions, now Volkswagen is investing in a similar network across Canada and the U.S. in particular. But I, I just don't see DC fast charging getting the momentum that we all expected it would. Uh, with you know big companies like EVgo and Tritium and ChargePoint pushing as hard as they can, what's holding it back right now? Well, I wouldn't say that we aren't seeing progress. I think that that actually is is not true. We're seeing some great progress in terms of electrifying, especially corridors uh, where people would travel between major metropolitan hubs. And more and more of that infrastructure is being deployed every week. So I think that it's exciting times for the industry. And certainly we're starting to see some investment in it uh, by, by major stakeholders. Where there's some barriers, I think, for the industry is, is largely also attributed to rates and interconnection processes. Um, on the rate side, I would say that commercial EV rates are 
one of these new topics that everyone is very interested in because we need to find some way to fairly attribute costs to charging infrastructure vendors and providers that are different from how we've typically set up commercial rates, which are really largely for traditional CNI customers that have well-described and well-defined modes of operation and load profiles. The load profiles for DC fast charging are very unique, very different, but yet we're still applying the same sort of um, methodologies to this other kind of what could be an, its own rate class. So it's not working very well from an uh, equity perspective for vendors who may only be using a very short amount of time for that uh, transformer, but being charged just like a traditional commercial an industrial customer for much more use. So thinking about ways that we can think about like adjustable mortgage rates where you have like a different mortgage rate over time. Maybe if you're thinking about a, from a utility perspective, you don't want to cross subsidize, like give special incentives to the special industry, but maybe understanding that the utilization rate of some of these stations is still very, very low under 20% maybe you would have a lower rate for that demand charge for the first few years and then ramp it up over time as we start to see more cars on the road. So, so I like to think about it like an adjustable mortgage rate where you would you know, have a smaller percentage of the traditional demand charge and then bump it up as we get higher utilization. Well, Erica, you are clearly super knowledgeable about the topic, and I appreciate you setting the record straight on DC fast charging. I'm looking forward to uh, what I consider to be the inevitability of the e-mobility and electrification of our electric vehicles or our, our vehicle fleet uh, from light duty to heavy duty. As we wrap up here, I recall that you guys published a report called EV future or something like that. I'll let you clarify it back in the fall. And if I'm not mistaken, a conversation you and I had around that document suggested there might be a part two. When when would I expect to see part two from that document? Yeah. So planning for an EV future was published in the fall of last year. It's available on our website as well for download. It really is designed to help utilities think about distribution planning and other elements to help increase the amount of electric vehicle charging infrastructure in their service territories. So this is a companion report that's coming out in June 2020, and it's going to help utilities understand an approach by which they can develop an EV charging infrastructure program from a development of a strategic plan to creation of a transportation electrification team and how to do that, as well as a very comprehensive list of best practices that we've compiled from utilities across the country on deploying uh, utility-led charging infrastructure as well as customer-side charging infrastructure. So uh, we're really excited about this piece and definitely take a look when you get a chance in June. All right. Fantastic. Well, I've just found it on the website, Preparing for an Electric Vehicle Future, How Utilities Can Succeed. We're going to link to that, of course, as we always do, along with the uh, with the residential rates study that we discussed a little bit earlier. Hopefully, folks will go check that out. I'm always impressed by not only the quantity, but the quality of uh, amazing research that you all are engaged in. You are certainly no exception to the rule. You are an exceptional expert, and I love uh, getting a chance to dig in with you on all things EV. Look forward to having you back soon to talk about other things that you're diving into. 
Erica Myers is the principal for transportation electrification at the Smart Electric Power Alliance. And Erica, it's always great to have you on Suncast. Thanks so much, Nico. I really appreciate it. Well, I am so grateful for that time with Erica, and I can't wait for you to hear the forthcoming long-form interview she and I have already got laid down. I was surprised to find that we share one very important thing about our history, and I also continue to learn much more about the effective strategies that are being devised to help encourage and boost overall EV adoption, which many of us in clean energy consider a foregone conclusion and inevitability. Be sure to check the show notes for today's episode if you're curious to connect with Erica or read some of her research. It's all linked there. That's a wrap on this conversation, Warrior, but I do hope that we'll see you back here on Thursday for this week's long-form interview. I also encourage you to check out other episodes of Suncast and let me know what you think of these shorter-form discussions. Do you want more like this? We've got hundreds of episodes, resources, and highlights from these discussions, along with the social media links for each episode guest, book recommendations, and so much more over at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly tribe exclusive emails or even joining our exclusive inner circle of infinite learners and clean economy champions we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I do so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. And a special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, as well as learn more about becoming a sponsor if that's something that you're interested in. You can follow the links there as well to any of the offers that we've discussed about any of our sponsors here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>